welcome to the June 18th edition of the WorkComp Academy Weekly News. I'm Renee Foles, an attorney with Floyd Scarin Law Offices. Thanks for joining us today. So let's get started with our litigation report. The Court of Appeal ruled that a properly worded compromise and release agreement also releases FIHA claims. Here's what happened in the unpublished case of El Guia versus the Southern California Pizza Company. Artemio El Guia was a pizza delivery driver for Pizza Hut. His general manager was Alex Rodriguez. El Guia alleged that Rodriguez discriminated against him on the basis of his age, and his doctor placed him on medical leave for stress, and he never returned to Pizza Hut. Instead, he brought a suit against Pizza Hut alleging age discrimination and related causes of action under the Fair Employment and Housing Act, also known as FIHA, as well as other torts. While this action was pending, he was also pursuing multiple workers' compensation claims that were resolved by settlements, which he signed along with one of his workers' compensation attorneys. For each CNR, there was an addendum which specifically included resolution of all claims arising under any state or federal law or regulation, including the California Fair Employment and Housing Act and many other theories of employer liability. After signing the CNR, Pizza Hut moved for judgment on the pleadings in the civil case based on the releases and specifically the broad language in the addenda to the CNR. The trial court granted judgment on the pleadings without leave to amend and the Court of Appeal affirmed the dismissal in the unpublished case. Alquia also attempted to set aside the CNR at the WCAB, but his petition in this regard was denied. Alguia argued on appeal that his, of his civil case that he does not understand English and was never informed in the workers' compensation action that he was releasing his civil claims. And he complained that he was represented by counsel in the FIA action at the time of the workers' compensation settlement, and no one informed his FIA counsel that the FIA complaint was being addressed by the workers' compensation settlement. Despite this, the Court of Appeal ruled that if the parties to the workers' compensation proceeding include in their release an addendum, which reflects an intention to reach beyond workers' compensation, that addendum may be given effect and may encompass FIHA claims. The court cited the 2002 case of Jefferson v. Department of Youth Authority, which it said easily resolved the issues raised by the El Guia on appeal. The workers' compensation releases El Guia signed here expressly encompasses FIHA claims, thus the trial court correctly concluded that a release which specifically includes FIHA claims does, in fact, release, release the FIHA claims. But the Court of Appeal reached the opposite conclusion in another case, finding that the CNR addendum did not release civil liability. Here's what happened in the published case of Camacho versus Target Stores. Adrian Camacho began working as a cashier at Target in 2012. He claimed about repeated verbal harassment from his co-workers based on the fact that he is gay. 
Camacho said his co-workers would ridicule, mimic, and mock him, sometimes in the presence of targeted customers. Prior to resigning, he filed a claim for workers' compensation benefits as a result of the harassment and claimed injuries related to head and neck pain, as well as digestive and psychological problems. When he settled his workers' compensation case with Target, he executed the mandatory pre-printed compromise and release form. Camacho and Target also executed an addendum and he received $12,000 in exchange for executing the settlement document. He then filed a civil complaint against Target in which he asserted several causes of action for discrimination based on sexual orientation and harassment causing a hostile work environment. Target moved for summary judgment and the trial court concluded that the CNR and addendum in Camacho's workers' compensation case constitutes a general release of all potential civil claims. But this time, the Court of Appeal reversed in the published case. Target argued that the language in the CNR addendum that said he released Target for the workers' compensation claim or any other claims for reimbursement, benefits, damages, or relief of whatever nature released the new civil case. But the Court of Appeal disagreed and concluded that after examining the language of the entire document, including the pre-printed CNR and Addendum A, and considering each term within the context of the others, it is clear that there was no reference in either the CNR or Addendum to any causes of action outside the workers' compensation system. The court concluded that there must be clear and non-technical language, as is required under the 2004 decision in Claxton v. Waters in order to release anything else. And in yet another case, the Court of Appeal affirmed that the exceptions to the exclusive remedy protection for employers requires a showing of extreme and outrageous conduct. In this case, Jessica Aram worked as a genetic counselor for Laboratory Corporation of America Holdings. She provided prenatal genetic counseling to parents at several clinics in Southern California, including follow-up care and counseling when a genetic test revealed abnormal results. A dispute arose between Aram and her employer, LabCorp, about the content of her clinical notes. The dispute was not resolved between them regarding the details provided in her documentation, so her employment was terminated by LabCorp. In response, Aram filed a civil complaint against her employer asserting causes of action for wrongful termination, retaliatory discharge, violations of whistleblower protections, and intentional infliction of emotional distress. Aram alleged that respondents' bullying and threats constituted the basis of her claim for intentional infliction of emotional distress. The employer moved for summary judgment, which the trial court granted, and dismissed her case, finding that the employer's action did not constitute extreme or outrageous conduct, and thus the claim was barred by the exclusive exclusivity provisions of the California Workers' Compensation Act. 
The Court of Appeal affirmed the judgment in the unpublished case of Aram versus Esoterics Genetic Labs. When a claim of intentional infliction of emotional distress is based on a wrongful conduct that occurred at the worksite, then workers' compensation is the exclusive remedy. This is so even when the emotional distress arose from conduct that would support whistleblower claims such as those alleged by Aram. She would be required to show extreme or outrageous conduct to circumvent the exclusive remedy limitation. The Kentucky Attorney General filed suit against Walgreens on, uh, for its dual role as distributor and pharmacy in allegedly failing to legally monitor its own operations <clears throat> that shipped and dispensed large quantities of opioids. The lawsuit alleges unfair, misleading, and deceptive business practices by Walgreens for excessively distributing and dispensing opioids in Kentucky and for failing to legally report to state and federal authorities the suspiciously large orders it received from prescript for these prescriptions. The Attorney General said he filed his sixth lawsuit in Boone County because of the large number of Kentuckians who have died from overdoses in northern Kentucky. The lawsuit alleges that Walgreens failed to use its unique position as a pharmacy and distributor to prevent the flood of opioids into Kentucky. As a distributor, the company has real-time data regarding exact amounts of pills, pill types, and customer orders for its store, and is legally required to report suspicious orders to the DEA. The company has distribution centers close to Kentucky's border in Illinois and Ohio, and is a company whose 2018 second quarter sales topped $33 billion. As a pharmacy, it is legally required to monitor and flag suspicious customer prescriptions, such as individuals traveling long distances to fill prescriptions or doctors prescribing outside the scope of their usual practice. The Kentucky Attorney General said Walgreens knew or should have known of Kentucky's exceedingly high rate of suspicious opioid shipments and prescriptions and the significant correlating risk of abuse, misuse, and diversion of prescription opioids. Miami lawyers expected a state court victory in 2017 to pave the way for billions of dollars from liability and workers' compensation insurance carriers across the nation to flow back to Medicare and its beneficiaries. The attorneys of the firm MSP Recovery are going after major liability insurers for allegedly shirking their duty to reimburse Medicare benefit providers for conditional payments. Under the Medicare Secondary Payer Law, known by the acronym MCP, the government can recover double damages from a primary payer that fails to pay Medicare back for Medicare expenses covered by a liability policy. Before the 2007 victory in Florida, no attorney had ever secured class certification under the Medicare Secondary Payer Law. A nuanced interplay between federal and state laws made it difficult to establish common issues of law and fact 
required for class action certification. But the MSP recovery law firm became overcame those obstacles in Miami-Dade Circuit Court in 2017 where the judge certified a class in a lawsuit against the auto insurer Ocean Harbor Casualty Insurance, a primary payer for thousands of Medicare Part C beneficiaries. The judge also noted MSP Recovery had developed a sophisticated system to identify claims by collecting and matching data, including Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services reports, automobile crash reports, ambulance records, insurance declaration sheets, and no-fault personal injury protection payout sheets. That complicated system has allowed the 30-attorney firm with roughly three dozen partner firms across the country to divide claims into categories and file lawsuits across the country on behalf of more than 100 health plans. Their firm now boasts of more than 100 class actions pending in state and federal courts across the nation. Targeted defendants include companies such as Allstate Property and Casualty, Liberty Mutual, State Farm Mutual Automobile, GEICO, and others. But the firm has recently suffered some setbacks. Just recently, MSP Recovery LLC and several of its attorneys have been sanctioned by a federal district court. This class action involved the usual allegations by MSP Recovery LLC, essentially that MSP Recovery has assignments from various clients that have made Medicare conditional payments, wherein State Farm should have been the primary payer and reimbursed the clients that made those conditional payments. But the firm failed to identify its clients that allegedly paid medical expenses on behalf of Medicare beneficiaries in the federal litigation. MSP Recovery then filed its first amended complaint and then attempted a second amended complaint to correct the deficiency of identifying their clients. The court found MSP Recovery's contradictory statements to be palpably absurd and clearly wrong under the law. The court issued Federal Rule 11 sanctions in the amount of $5,000 against three of MSP Recovery's LLC's attorneys, as well as an additional $5,000 against MSP Recovery itself for a total sanction of $20,000. And now our crime report. 61-year-old Dr. Gary Royce Wisner, who lives in Lodi, was arraigned at the San Joaquin County Superior Court on 11 felony counts of insurance fraud for bilking insurers out of more than $700,000. Authorities say he allegedly provided unnecessary and excessive medical treatment for orthopedic patients. Dr. Wisner is a board-certified orthopedic surgeon and is currently licensed to practice medicine in California, Alabama, and Nevada. He claims to be affiliated with Adventist Health Lodi Memorial, St. Joseph's Medical Center, and Dameron Hospital. A multi-agency investigation revealed that Dr. Wisner was providing unnecessary treatments, including exposing his patients to excessive x-rays, all for the purpose of allegedly committing insurance fraud. 
Dr. Wisner's alleged fraud resulted in a loss of over $700,000 to four insurers, including State Compensation Insurance Fund, Zenith Insurance, Hartford, and TriStar, the federal insurance system. A San Joaquin County criminal grand jury indicted Dr. Wisner on 11 felony counts of insurance fraud last May. The California Medical Board reports his license to be current and active with no record of disciplinary actions. And a 50-year-old neuropsychologist, Michael Howard Kabat, owner of Neuropsychology Consult Services, has been charged with 12 felony counts of health insurance fraud involving Blue Shield of California, Scripps Health Plan Services, and the Medicare Trust Fund. Kabat's alleged fraudulent billing to those insurance companies was in excess of $2.2 million. Kabat's psychological assistants routinely performed lengthy neuropsychological examinations, yet Dr. Kabat billed under a code indicating that he personally conducted the examinations. This billing code reimbursed services at a higher rate of pay and provided reimbursements for additional services related to the examinations. Additionally, Kabat is charged with two counts of grand theft of labor since he did not pay his psychological assistants their hourly rate for services provided to Kabat as required under California law. Kabat further categorized his psychological assistants as independent contractors rather than employees resulting in four tax evasion-related charges. Kabat also filed documents with the California Board of Psychology, which he signed under penalty of perjury, containing false information, which are the basis of seven perjury charges also against him. Finally, Dr. Kabat and his biller, Leslie Hendricks, also known as Leslie Lowe, are each charged with three counts of health insurance fraud and additional felony count for creating false documents in support of a claim for health insurance benefits when they added billing hours for services not rendered. The investigation into Gabbat's billing was conducted over a two-year period and involved multiple state and federal agencies. 55-year-old Fernando Alanis, who lives in Rio Grande City, Texas, was sentenced to three years and three months in prison for two counts of mail fraud related to an unemployment insurance fraud scheme involving California farm workers. Alanis was a supervisor with local farm labor contractors that provided contract labor for growers and packers and organized them into crews managed by crew bosses. He would hire and supervise crew bosses and facilitate the hiring of other laborers. He is the one who provided the personal identifying information of individuals, including his relatives and other acquaintances, to workers, some of whom were undocumented, so they could obtain employment with the farm labor contractor under the assumed identities. They then worked as seasonal farm laborers and earned wages. When the workers were laid off at the end of the season, False and fraudulent unemployment insurance claims were filed in the names of the assumed identities. This caused EDD to send unemployment insurance checks and benefit debt cards 
to the addresses of the owners of the assumed identities who were not entitled to the benefits. The individuals lending their identities would either share some of the benefits with Alanis or would pay Alanis in advance of the unemployment insurance claims being made. Alanis' direct and indirect conduct resulted in a loss to the EDD of nearly a half million dollars. And in medical news, antimicrobial resistance, or AMR, is the ability of a microorganism like bacteria, viruses, and some parasites to stop an antimicrobial, such as antibiotics, antivirals, and antimalarials, from working against it. As a result, standard treatments become ineffective, infections persist, and may spread to others. Repeated and improper uses of antibiotics are primary causes of the increase in drug-resistant bacteria. While antibiotics should be used to treat bacterial infections, they are not effective against viral infections like the common cold, most sore throats, and the flu. The U.S. adopted its national strategy for combating antibiotic-resistant bacteria in 2014, which identified priorities and coordinates investments to prevent, detect, and control outbreaks of resistant pathogens recognized by the CDC as urgent or serious threats. At the 68th World Health Assembly in 2015, the World Health Assembly endorsed a global action plan to tackle antimicrobial resistance, including antibiotic resistance, the most urgent drug resistance trend. And now, EU member states backed a plan to combat antimicrobial resistance that would reduce the use of antibiotics in the food chain and limit certain drugs to humans. Some 700,000 people a year are estimated to die globally because of antimicrobial resistance. These new EU rules limit the prophylactic use of antibiotics for animals that are not yet sick and provide clearer guidelines to countries outside the EU. Non-EU farmers will be prohibited from using antibiotics to cultivate larger animals, which is still a common practice but banned in the European Union, if they want to sell it inside the block. The rules will also limit certain medicines to their treatment of humans in order to not water down their efficacy in combating infections. The European Parliament and the European Council, which groups the EU's 28 member states, still needs to approve these new rules. And at its Silicon Valley headquarters, network gear maker, Cisco Systems Incorporated is going to unusual lengths to take control of the relentless increase in its U.S. healthcare costs. Cisco is among a handful of large American employers who are getting more deeply involved in managing their workers' health instead of looking to insurers to do it. Cisco last year began offering its employees a plan it negotiated directly with nearby Stanford Health Medical System. Under the plan, physicians are supposed to keep costs down by closely tracking about a dozen health indicators to prevent expensive emergencies and keep Cisco workers happy with their care. 
If they meet these goals, Stanford gets a bonus. If they fail, Stanford pays Cisco a penalty. Cisco said costs for Stanford plan patients are 10% lower than conventional coverage still used by most of its employees. Intel Corporation said it is saving 17% on its workers enrolled in a similar plan known as Connected Care. Aircraft manufacturer Boeing Company and Walmart Incorporated, the world's largest retailer, have likewise hammered out health plans directly with providers. The movement is small, just a few very large U.S. corporations that have signed up tens of thousands of workers so far. Their early effort shows the challenges of changing behaviors among patients and doctors, but they speak volumes about corporate America's frustration with an exorbitantly rising medical costs and the traditional insurers that sell them coverage. Corporations help pay for health care for more than 170 million Americans, in most cases working with an insurer to handle everything from the price of the treatments to the medical claims. These employers will spend an estimated $738 billion on health benefits in 2018, a figure that has been rising about 5% annually in recent years. And other big firms are watching this issue closely. Amazon.com, J.P. Morgan Chase & Company, and Berkshire Hathaway said in January they will form an independent company to improve health care for their roughly 750,000 U.S. employees. To boost enrollment, all three companies have dangled sweeteners such as extra money for health savings accounts or lower monthly premiums and co-pays. The approach also requires employers to take a more hands-on role. Cisco's experiment began in 2008 when it opened the campus clinic for all of its employees there. Designed like a spa, the facility offered primary care in new age-sounding treatment areas, body, mind, heart, and spirit. The savings were notable, about 30% compared to an off-site doctor's office. Cisco later brought in Stanford to develop a full-blown medical plan which took effect in 2017. Stanford operates the clinic and provides more specialized services through Stanford's university medical system. And with that story, that is all of our news and events for this week. Please check our website daily for news updates, past editions of our news, and much, much more. And remember, you can subscribe to our weekly news podcasts and special reports using your iPhone, your iPad, or your Android device by searching for the WorkCop Academy with your podcast software. We also publish a daily flash briefing on the Amazon Alexa Echo platform. Search for Workers' Compensation News on the Amazon website. Again, I'm Renee Foles, an attorney with Floyd Scarian, Scarin, Manukian, and Langevin. Thanks for joining us today, and please drop by again next week for more news.